we're in the book of Acts. This is our third week. Um, we, here's, I'm just going to do a little bit of recap because, you guys, this book just starts. I mean, it's just bam, bam, bam. And it, there's, there's so much that happens right after Pentecost. And, and uh, where we get to in chapter 4 is that the fire has not gone down. The momentum has continued. Thousands of new believers are in Jerusalem, and they, they haven't left. <laughs> They're still there. There's been intense moments like the lame man at the gate being healed, the one that everybody knew about and nobody could deny. That happens, you know, and, and it just caused such a ruckus in the temple. People flocked there that Peter stands up and preaches right there, and so many people meet Jesus. And, of course, the religious leaders try to shut them down. So the Sadducees arrest Peter and John, and they take him. You know who they take him to? They take him to Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest and his, his uh, um, his father-in-law, who, who are, they just, like, they just gone through the same thing with Jesus, right? Here they are, like, five weeks later, and, and now they're having to deal with it here. And they grill Peter and John, and they say, by what power did you do this thing? Because they have to admit that it's a miracle. Peter and John, just like, you know, throwing a stick of gum, like, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified? They're like, you know, it's like cartoon when the face gets red. They get so angry with them, um, and, but they can't do anything about it because they're scared of the crowds. Because everyone's seen what's happened, right? Like, you can't deny this. And people like what's happened because they think it's rather a good thing when a lame man gets healed. Very, thank you very much, you know? And so they can't do anything about it. So... They just tell them, we're going to let you go this one time. Just stop teaching about Jesus. And they're like, nah. And they, they go, and they, they get released, and the whole church celebrates. And they have this prayer meeting, and it goes something like this. Like, Lord, you're so good. We're, we're excited, but the nations are raging against us, and we are facing opposition. So, Lord, give us strength. Give us boldness, as Joshua preached last week. Give us boldness to keep going and let this momentum of your church build. And the prayer time is so intense and celebratory. The ground starts shaking. Now, I've been to some good prayer meetings, but pretty intense, huh? So here's where we pick it up. Acts 4.32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the, apostle, uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This passage, unfortunately, suffers from uh, the, the, our dreaded scriptural headlines. I say dreaded. Sometimes they're very helpful. But the, the, the breaks that you have in your Bible, whatever 
version you use and the little headlines that are in between, those are just things the editor of that particular edition put in there to make it easier for us, which is great usually. But the downside is that sometimes when we see it, we just assume, okay, totally different part here, right? Really shouldn't be separated. You can't separate this passage from the context of what's going on in Jerusalem. Now, here is, <laughs> we're going to get a couple of tricky passages this morning. So, um, here, and here is the first one. Here's why. The, a lot of people will read this, this passage, and then the following one. They'll read this one, and here's what they say. Oh, well, the book of Acts teaches socialism. Boom! And then they look at the following passage, which we're going to get into later, where Peter tells Ananias, you could have done anything you wanted with your, with your money, or your property. And people go, boom! The Bible teaches capitalism. Okay, listen. This is an unfortunate thing that we tend to do with biblical interpretation. Um, those categories didn't actually exist, okay, at the time that Luke was writing this. Um, I do not believe the Bible teaches capitalism, and I do not believe the Bible teaches socialism. Now, there might be principles you can find and apply to build a case for your ideas. In fact, you ought to do that. You ought to be searching, how does the Bible inform my thinking in areas of education and politics and all these other things, right? But what happens often is we go too far. And, and we say the Bible teaches my favorite political theory or economic theory or yours. Now, I have opinions about economics, lest you think I just want to be in the squishy middle here. I, have a, you want, I, I will lay my cards on the table. And if you're upset with me, call Joshua and talk with him about it. <laughs> I have an opinion. Here, here's my opinion. I have visited communist nations as well as an Eastern European nation right after the collapse of the Iron Curtain. And I know there are definitely abuses in any economic theory. There's abuses in capitalism. But I've actually seen firsthand what happens when a society gives all the power of wealth to a few in order to disperse it. And here's what I believe happens, and I think history has borne this out. A nation gets really, really poor. And I think the history of the last 80 years, I think, represents that and shows this quite clearly. So you can see what happened in post-war uh, post Europe, especially in West Germany. And you can see what's happened even in the past 30 years as India's markets have opened. You know, for the first time in the, over the past decade, for the first time in world history, extreme poverty fell to under 10% of the world population. Did you know that? And it was like 30% in 1980. And this, is a, this is a direct result of markets opening up. Now, that is my opinion. And I could be wrong on that. And if you want to sit down and argue about it, I am fine. We can have a sandwich and talk. So that's great. But I, it would be... To, I, here's what I think. I think it would be abusing the text for me to claim that because Peter says uh, you could have done what you wanted with it to say that the Bible teaches capitalism. I don't believe it does. Those categories didn't exist then. In the same way, I think it would be abusing the text for someone to claim that this part teaches socialism. You can, you can do your best to build a case for socialism, and a lot of people do, and many, many believers in Jesus. We have many brothers and sisters around the world that make that case. Now, I disagree with the case, but you're free to try to make it. Just please don't try to use this text, because that's not what this text teaches. Okay? Are you with me? So what happens here is this. Uh, well, let me say, part of the problem, uh, this is, you know, this whole idea of, like, proof text, you know, finding one scripture and go, aha, and using it as ammunition 
for a modern political debate, I think is really counterproductive. Because the first thing it does is just leads into the vortex of like political polarization. And I think the church is already way too involved in that personally. You guys know I think that. I think many times politics becomes an idol in the church. And I think that's, a, a re, I think that's grievous. The other thing, though, that happens is this. When we pull all the events that we see like this and try to bring them into or put them in our very modern boxes, we miss what the scripture is actually trying to say to us. We miss it because we're so obsessed with these particular issues. Now, look at what this teaches. This is actually super cool. Like I said, you shouldn't separate this passage from what just came. We are in the middle of an unbelievable story, a completely unexpected scenario. It's a revival Except it's not a revival. It's a vival. <laughs> right? What do you do when vival breaks out? There are thousands that are just here and not going home. They're caught up in the momentum. There's been healings. There's been tongues of fire. There's been languages. There's been prayer and salvation, worship, and even localized earthquakes. In chapter 6, we actually get a clearer picture of some of this because you have the apostles who are super busy preaching the word. They're super busy teaching their people about Jesus, telling them all the things they've seen about Jesus. They're super busy getting arrested in the temple, all these things. And that, that it's like, oh my goodness, we have to have help because we also have to serve tables. Table number seven over there doesn't have bread. Do you, in other words, they're feeding all of these people. Why? Because remember, most of them are pilgrims. So what are you going to do in that case? You have people right outside your doorstep that desperately need help. Now, if you're a disciple, here's what I think you're thinking. I, I think you're thinking, well, we need to teach about Jesus. We have to. Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations. He specifically said to do that in Jerusalem, in the surrounding regions, and to the ends of the earth. And here, they're right here in front of us. We're trying to make disciples. We're trying to tell them what Jesus told us. We cannot just neglect these people. We have to do this, and they're in our care. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed them? You've got big tents outside just full, and that was the situation they were facing. In other words, this is an unexpected crowd. This is a crisis situation. So let's say, let's say you're a, a, uh, a landowner uh, in Jerusalem, and you have people that have been crashing on your couch, in your backyard, on your trampoline, um, and all this stuff. And this, this thing hits, and you realize, oh my goodness, they're running out of money. The apostles just announced, hey, listen, we need more food. Um, you know, we're going to take up a collection. And you think, oh man, I do have that rental home on the fashionable west side. And you decide, I want to help this movement so you take and you sell that property and you bring all that money and you give it to the apostles in order to meet these needs. You guys, that's beautiful. This is a beautiful thing that's taking place. And it's more than that. That's not enough, see? Because it's not just like, okay, we need to, we need to feed them. It's, there's also all kinds of basic needs that they need met, right? Like Janice from Antioch. Who's been sleeping? Who's sleeping in your backyard? She doesn't have a winter coat. Well, somebody has. Well, I have a winter coat. Okay, great. And then you've got you've got other things like Phyllis from Cyrene. She didn't bring a toothbrush. 
Sally, so fill out. She's her gums are starting to hurt. But yeah, you got toothbrushes from Costco. Remember that bulk thing a year ago, and you still have five of them beneath your your bathroom sink. Phyllis, we can do this, right? Uh, and, and then you've, you've got, you know, uh, Guster from Philippi. He's got a medical condition. He's got kidney issues. He needs more medicine. He used it all because he thought he was going to be home back in Philippi, but here he is. So let's help him meet this need. This is what happened. All of these people have all of these needs, and the family of God steps in. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And see what we lose when we just try to shove it into these really predictable debates? This sets the tone for the church moving forward. The church is a family. This is the kind of stuff that happens in a family. One kid goes to bed, I don't have any blankets. Hey, you've got three blankets over here. <laughs> here, you can have them. That's what happens in a family, right? I tried to get Jack to eat tacos last night. He didn't want it, but you know what? I needed another taco, so it worked perfectly. It's what happens in families, right? You give to one another. You meet each other's needs. The church banded together at a time of crisis and overcame. And this really was a time of crisis. Let's skip now uh, to chapter 5, verse 12. I realize that we're leapfrogging over a story, but we will come back to that. Don't worry. Let's uh, write at uh, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, which is in the, inside the temple. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, when they even, uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. What? The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Did you guys see that? How was that, a two-handed one? It's good, it's different. You see what's happening? This is incredible. The surrounding regions now finding out about it. People maybe who didn't even come for the feast, but they were hearing all these things and like, dude, there's miracles coming. Yeah, yeah, I just got healed from a broken foot because Peter's shadow happened to go across it. I don't even know what to do with that. That's unbelievable, right? And then there's more opposition. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, <laughs> again, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Oh, no! Opposition! We're doomed! But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple. Look, he's, hey, go stand in the temple. Go, like where they were arrested. Speak to the people all the, the words of this life. And they heard this, and they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now this is, guys, this is funny. This is like almost comedy. I feel bad for the Sadducees in this scene, right? Because they don't know this has happened. So when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. 
But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. All there was was a giant poster of Rita Hayworth. <laughs> yeah! Andy's got me. Sorry. Random reference this morning. He's not there. They're looking around going, where are these prisoners? <laughs> they found no one. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But um, when we, we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and said, um, guys, look. The men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. How disheartening would that have been? <laughs> we just arrested them twice, and they were here overnight, and now they're back. Oh, my goodness. Like, what? Like, they just can't win. It's glorious. So, they arrested them in the temple a third time, and they gave them a tongue lashing. We told you to stop this nonsense. And the disciples are like, yeah, but we're not going to. I don't know why they're chewing gum today. I don't know. Um, we're going to follow Jesus over you any day. They're just not afraid. Do you see this? They're not afraid. So the Sadducees get so mad, they're on the verge of killing them. Probably super embarrassed. Like, we had a show of force. We arrested you again and again, and now you're out there. Like, they're probably so embarrassed and jealous and all of these things. And they're on the verge of killing them till one clear-headed rabbi stands up and convinces them not to. That's the only reason they don't. And he says, basically, uh, this is probably going to die out if you just let it be. And so they're like, okay, but we are going to beat them. Called the apostles, verse 40. They beat them and charged them again not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Who are these people? you believe this? Yeah, we got arrested three times and then beat up. But woo! We suffered in Jesus' name. Do you see that? Hey, they told us not to preach. Should we stop? Nah. We can go just at least from house to house. Yeah, but let's go back to Solomon's portico too. They're back in the temple even. They're just not afraid. Now we got to step back because sandwiched between these two accounts is a story that has baffled many, including myself, for a very long time. Let's read this one out of the message from the good folks at Nav Press, where it's a little bit clearer. Verse, or chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, sold a piece of land and secretly kept a part of the price for himself and then brought the rest to the apostles and made an offering of it. Peter said, Ananias, how did Satan get you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back part of the price of the field? Before you sold it, it was all yours. And after you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wished. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? 
You don't lie to men, but to God. Ananias, when he heard those words, fell down dead. That put the fear of God into everyone who heard it. The younger men went right to work and wrapped him up, then carried him out and buried him. Not more than three hours later, his wife, knowing nothing of what had happened, came in. Peter said, tell me, were you given this price for the field? Yes, she said, that price. Peter responded, what's going on here that you, can, uh, that you connive to conspire against the spirit of a master? The men who buried your husband are at the door, and you're next. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. And the young men returned. They found her body. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. This is, this is a tricky story, isn't it? I really admire Luke for actually putting this in. Because this is a little weird. Like, this is, here's what strikes me about this story. This seems like such a departure from the way that Jesus rolls in Luke and Acts, right? It just does. And, and across the New Testament. It feels, when you just read it, it just feels like kind of a throwback to like the Old Testament judgment passages. And it's, it's just tricky. And we have to acknowledge sometimes we come across things in the Bible that are tricky. Now, one thing is clear right off the bat. He was judged not for keeping the money. Peter's very clear. He was judged for lack of integrity. Like these guys had seen the Holy Spirit work all these things and they still chose to posture themselves as something they weren't. And Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. That's the real crime here, okay? With whatever, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what he says. So that's why judgment comes. Still, why was it so harsh and so immediate and it just seems like a little out of place? Well, people have had theories. I was listening to the theories of some of the smartest people in the world. Here was one of them. I, I really respect this, this scholar. Uh, and he, his suggestion was, because look, look, it doesn't actually say that, um, that, that this was God's doing. Peter pronounced this thing, and then death happened. And so one theory he had is that these were heart attacks. But I look at it and go, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense because it, it was such an honor-shame culture, in, you know, that to be, for that to be revealed publicly would have been a devastating thing. And you can actually see someone having a serious uh, physical response like a heart attack. I just don't really see that, though, because I don't think it would happen twice. That just seems like too much of a coincidence, you know? Others have suggested that maybe this was Peter's judgment and not God's, like, Maybe, maybe that's the way this was happening. Is Peter was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit like, like it never really happened before. I mean, there was some super weird stuff that happened with Elisha back in the day. Um, that was a whole different era, right? And, and so could it be that Peter had said this thing and it just happened because he said it and it wasn't God's judgment? There, that's an interesting one. And I, I don't even know what to think about that because there's, there's a lot of ramifications about that, of what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, I honestly don't know. I, I have to work under the assumption that this is something that God did, or at least signed off on, you know? But 
it's clear to me it was an outlier, right? Like, the reason this story seems to stick out like a sore thumb is because it does. All throughout the, the pages of the New Testament, you see the mercy of Jesus Christ spilling over into everything. Everything. You can't read the book of Acts and the book of Luke before. Remember, this is one book, Luke, Acts. And to not see that, the gentleness, the grace, all of these things of Jesus Christ. So this is not the normal way that God does things. So why did it happen in this case? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had a, an answer for you. But I don't. Like, and I, some people love that. Like, oh, I love it when you can stand up and say you don't know. And, and I appreciate that. But I want to know. I don't want to. I don't. I, I actually do want to know. <laughs> but Again, sometimes we run across things in the scripture that we're just not going to be able to answer for now. And you'll have people wanting to be the, you know, Bible answer man or whatever. But the fact is, some things are just tricky. And this is a passage that's just tricky to me. Here's what I fall back on. Because I see the way God rolls. Because I see the way Jesus rolls through the Holy Spirit all the way, all the way through. I have to assume that I'm missing something. <laughs> that I don't see the whole picture. In fact, I have to do this with my own life. We all do, don't we? Aren't there really hard things that have happened to you and you've asked God why and you haven't actually gotten an answer? Some of it, we just have to take on trust. That says, you know what, Lord, I don't know why I just went through this thing. I don't know why I'm going through this thing now. I don't know why you didn't heal this person. I don't know why I suffered this kind of loss, whatever it is. But I believe, Lord, that you're good and that it's going to make sense to me on the other side. Does that make sense? So that's what I have to do sometimes with Scripture. I go, I clearly am not seeing something. So it's all going to make sense. But now, some of it makes perfect sense too. And here's, here's one thing I think we can definitely take away with. Okay, I think we can take this. Uh, I Remember the, the context here that this was at the very beginning of Christian community. This was the very beginning and maybe it was because it was the very beginning that this happened. Like maybe God wanted to be very, very clear, not just to them and their community, but to everyone that would follow down the ages how important it is to respect the Holy Spirit and to walk in integrity. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is, he's our God. He's our king. But he's not like our... I don't know, get too familiar. He's not our drinking buddy, you know? Do you know what I mean? He's not our little brother. He's just like a little, little pal we take around. It's, it's not who he, like, he is, he's God. He's God. And we dare not take him lightly. And I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we can get a little too casual sometimes. And maybe that's not you. Maybe it's just me. Be a little too casual in the way that we walk with him. A little too casual in the way that we just sort of sometimes can assume that he's just going to wink at our sins. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But here's the thing that really struck me this week, you guys. In this entire account that we've looked at this morning, we see many instances of pressure and threat from the outside. This first church in Acts, they face like, persecution, like actual persecution with arrests, with, with beatings, with 
with rods and whips. They, they eventually faced lions. These people faced every kind of danger. Yet their primary concern was not that danger. They, they saw what the ruling culture was doing. They knew it was there. They knew full well they were facing a loss of liberty, even a loss of life. But their focus, their priority, was on walking with integrity with the Holy Spirit. If they had any fear, it was not persecution, it was fear of God. That's what kept them up at night. Not the fear of the Roman soldiers kicking down the door, but fear that their own hearts might slip. The scripture is really clear. The Old Testament talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Proverbs 8.13 says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Psalm 34 says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And it goes on and on, the descriptions of what the fear of the Lord is. In other words, to have the fear of the Lord is to see how big and magnificent and holy God really is. And to turn away from our own tendencies to evil or our own tendencies to reduce him to something less. That's the kind of fear that gripped these people. It seemed to be the only kind. They didn't pray, Lord, rescue us from these people. Or Lord, make our leaders be nicer to us. Instead, they prayed, Lord, give us boldness to become more like you, to become your witnesses. And if it comes to suffering, well, let us suffer like you too. That's what they're praying. I wonder if they pray things like, Lord, may we never go the way of Ananias and Sapphira. Lord, I don't want to be one who cheats you or, or lacks generosity. I, I want to remember to take care of these ones that you've entrusted to us. Lord, wash me, wash us. Don't let us fall into self-aggrandizement or lies or selfishness. What about us? Where's our focus? Where's our priority as a people of God in this moment in history? Because sometimes... I get a little concerned that the church in, in, in general and where we're, we're at today in our culture, I think our biggest fear is what's happening out there. Out there. Not just our neighborhoods, but what's happening in Salem. What's happening in Washington. What's happening in Hollywood. What's happening in the inter entertainment industry. What's happening in Disney. All of these things that are around us, and that becomes a really big, looming fear. The threat of losing freedoms, the threat of an ever-encroaching pagan system of values. These are real. They're definitely real. But when I look again at this church in the book of Acts, I, you guys, I lived in way harsher realities than you or I have ever experienced. You know about the pagan culture of Rome? It'll make your hair stand up to read about the Temple of Artemis. You know about the persecution these guys faced and were just like expected. We don't know nothing about that, I don't think. Really harsh realities in the book of Acts, but they weren't afraid. They only wanted to fear God and to keep 
doing what he called them to do. And guess what? Cultural change did follow. The Roman Empire was turned upside down. But it happened as a byproduct of their commitment to fear God and to love one another. That's what happened. Where is your focus this morning? I want us to walk in the fear of the Lord. We act like Jesus no matter the opposition we face. No matter the cultural forces, no matter the intimidation, I want us to walk like these guys did in the image of, in the image of Jesus. And even if the worst happens, you guys, even if persecution strikes our soils, God forbid, I, want, I would hope and pray that we could follow the examples of these people who, one more time, at the end of chapter 5, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. That is such an inspiring, lofty, difficult thing that they did. But that's exactly what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, that we could count, even if we suffer, we count it as honor to suffer for his sake. This is our heritage. Remember I said when we first started this that we're going to see the way our, like the founding of our faith, you know, our founding fathers of our faith, and what are things that we can glean from them? This is one of the things I want to glean from them, right here, that I think, that, that, that I, think I need. <laughs> Maybe you need it. Maybe you're there already. God bless you. I want to be able to walk unflinchingly, with an unflinching joy in a hostile world. Because the world is hostile and might get more hostile. That's just, that's, that's the world. I want to still walk in joy and trust and love and integrity in the middle of that. That's where I want to fall. I want to walk like Jesus, being faithful and generous, trusting the results to him. I can't make things happen. I can't make the results happen. I'm just going to trust them to him. Do you receive that? Let's stand together.